I would concur. Excellent singing. Excellent singing. Sometimes we think of, um, we think of like a choir that a college might put together. I was thinking specifically of the college I went to, Faith Baptist Bible College, and the joy it was to sing in that choir because we had a, a very professional a song leader that, that taught us to sing very well together and how exciting those days were, but those days were a long time ago and that keeps getting farther and farther away. But honestly, this is better because this is worshiping our God through song with my church family every week and I love it. Thank you for singing out. I invite you to join me in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. This morning, the letter to the Philippians is all about Jesus, that we would know him and that we would be like him. That's why our series is entitled The Mind of Christ, having the mindset of Christ who gave himself freely so that he might leave the glories of heaven to come to earth and be like us, to be among us, to take on human flesh and experience the same types of pains that we experience, to experience the same types of struggles and temptations that we experience, but to do all those things and never sin. Now, if you think closely at your own life and even the smallest of little temptations that cause us to sin, the fact that Jesus withstood all of them helps point us to the fact that he is God the Son and not just some other man, some good teacher or prophet. He is God the Son. The letter to the Philippians is all about Jesus. It's from Paul, their, their former pastor, the one who helped establish the church to encourage them to keep on doing what they're doing, but also to help correct them, uh, mostly to encourage them. In chapter 1, Paul emphasized how the gospel of Jesus Christ was being spread even as he was imprisoned. He said that even the imperial guard, the guards that were watching over him, all knew that the reason he was imprisoned was not because he was a hardened criminal, but because he loved Jesus more than freedom. Can we say that? That was great timing. I love it. <laughs> Chapter 2 laid out Jesus' example of humility and obedience. As Jesus humbled himself, being obedient even to the point of death, and not even just death, a humiliating death, a death of a sinner, and God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. I know it's been almost a year since I preached that verse. Every knee. Everyone who has ever existed, even if they rejected the truth of God all their lives, they will one day bow to God the Son and God the Father, but it will be too late. Every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
chapter 3 was Paul's personal testimony. At the end of chapter 2, he laid out examples of people who lived the mind of Christ, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and then chapter 3 was his own personal testimony, which takes us to where we are today, chapter 4. Uh, we, we've been through the first few verses that gave us just a wealth of commands, ways that we can live, and I mean, we're freedom-loving people. When someone tells us that we have to do or have to not do something, we kind of cringe at that. But commands are for our good. If you want to live your best life, follow the commands of God with a heart fixated on God. Don't just obey them because you're obeying. Obey with your heart. Our passage today is Philippians 4, beginning in verse 14. Would you follow along with me as I read? Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. That every bit of scripture is good for us. It helps us to know how to live and how to help others to live. And so, Father, as we kind of act as third parties, as Paul is writing to his friends, to his, his family in Christ back at Philippi, there's, uh, some of this is, is just direct to them, but much of it is there for us to glean from as well, that we might know how we ought to live. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand from your word, how we ought to live in response to this passage. That we would have open hearts to the Spirit, that he would uh, be able to convict us in ways that perhaps we're falling short, or that he would encourage us in the ways that we're already doing this, and that you would be pleased. So Father, I ask that you would overshadow my mind this morning, that you would help me to say exactly the words you want, that we would hear from you through your word, and live in accordance to it. In his name I pray, amen. <clears throat> Last week we saw in our passage how Paul was content in Jesus. He was satisfied in Jesus alone. He was just as content when he was in need, when he didn't have everything that he really needed to, to live, and he was content when he had excess when he was full and overflowing. The theme of being content in Jesus continues in today's passage as Paul commends the Philippians, the church in Philippi, for their generosity, thanking them for how they served God by serving Paul. They served God by serving him and the other churches that he was serving. In today's passage, we see Paul commending them for their generosity. Contentment and generosity go hand in hand. You're not going to find someone who is truly generous if they are not also content. 
right? Because if we are content, we're certainly more free to let go of the things that we have, whether we're talking about money or possessions or time or talent. If we're content, we can be generous. Satisfaction and contentment are the fertile seedbed of generosity. It's planting season. I can talk like that, right? Contentment, being satisfied with Jesus and whatever it is that he, whatever position he has put us in, whatever place he has put us in, whatever status of life he has put us in, being content in him is the fertile seedbed of generosity. The Bible really does call us to live radically different than the world around us, doesn't it? It's true there are some unbelievers who are generous, but in general, they're not. Our natural state is to never be satisfied with what we have, right? To always want something more, something better, and sometimes just something different. We're just never satisfied in our natural state. Our natural state is to hold tightly to all these things in a vain attempt to control the outcome of our lives. If I have this amount of savings and I know in the future my life will be more comfortable, but I don't actually know that, do I? There are plenty of wealthy people who have suffered and died young. Or, or if I do this particular activity that is going to give me better health, then, uh, and I, I, because I'm doing that, I can't give of my time to go and, and serve someone else. We're trying to control outcomes. We're trying to control our circumstances. That is our natural tendency. And if you just look around and observe people, you'll see that that generally runs true. The Bible calls us to something just completely different, radically different. The verses that we just read, Paul expresses Again, his gratitude to the Philippians. He expressed it in chapter 1. He's expressing it again as he wraps up the book. His thankfulness in regard to their generosity to him. Our big idea this morning is simply this. Our generosity with God's people is generosity with God. Let me say that again. Our generosity with God's people is generosity to God. Keep that in mind as we go through. First, we see the fellowship of suffering. This theme of fellowship has been with us all the way since chapter 1. Uh, in fact, it is one of the main words that Paul repeats over and over throughout the book. Now, back in chapter 1, we looked at biblical fellowship. I explained why translators have chosen to not use the word, the word fellowship in our English translations, and there's a good reason. It's, it's not because fellowship was a poor translation in the past, but because of the way we understand fellowship, that word is actually unhelpful without at least a good amount of explanation. And by we, I mean English-speaking Christians in general, but also us specifically as a church. Pastor Dan talked earlier about Wednesday night, we're going to have an ice cream fellowship. That is how we understand fellowship, is food, right? Food and conversation. 
it's perfectly okay for us to use the word that way because that's simply how we understand the word fellowship in English. But biblical fellowship is so much more. If I were to announce tonight that we were going to have a fellowship, would you bring cookies and ice cream and sandwiches or would you bring chainsaws and gloves? Because gathering tonight to cut down some trees and clear up some brush is also a form of fellowship. Why? Because fellowship is relating to one another in an activity, doing something together. Now, when we talk about biblical fellowship, that activity is a Godward activity. So when we gather together this morning to worship God through the proclamation of his word, which is what we're doing this moment, in case you didn't know, that is fellowship. This is fellowship because I am standing here preaching to you. You are listening, at least most of you, and you are paying attention to it and, and trying to, to process what's going on in the Word of God. That is fellowship. That does not mean break out your sandwiches and start talking to each other, okay? Because fellowship is much more than that. It's that close mutual relations and involvement, relationship and activity. So uh, the word that is that has at its root koinonia, which is often translated as fellowship, in, in Philippians 1 that we looked at a long time ago, I, I realize that. Philippians 1 verse 5, we found it in the word partnership. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was commending them for how they partnered with him, that fellowship for the gospel in the early days when he was with them. A couple verses later in chapter 1, he said, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace. That word partaker is fellowship. So a partnership in the gospel and a fellowship of grace. And there are various times, I'm not going to re rehearse all of them in, in the book of Philippians this morning, but here we are in chapter 4, and we read verse 14. It says, Yet it was kind of you, to share my trouble. That word share is fellowship. Paul says it was good of you to be in the fellowship of suffering with me. How many of us are signing up for that fellowship? The fellowship of suffering. In verse 15, he uses uh, the same root word again. Uh, and you Philippians know that when in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, that's that word fellowship, with me in giving and receiving except you only. So I bring these four instances up, two in chapter one and two in chapter four, because they are parallel. Uh, the, 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 the way that people wrote back then is completely different than the way we write now. They intentionally would build up in their line of argument and then repeat the same things later. And that's exactly what we see happening here in chapter one, talking about being a partner in the gospel and partaker of the grace. And now in chapter four, uh, sharing in trouble and partner, partnering in giving. These are all parallel and it wasn't accidental. Paul was using it to make a point. He was doing that to make a point that this commonality of the believers, that we get together and we share in these events, we share in, in these activities, we share in these troubles, it's all part of being a believer in Jesus Christ. 
So in, here, in today's passage, verse 14, Paul is thanking them for taking part in his own struggles. He's thanking them for their part in this fellowship of suffering. The church has sacrificed for the sake of the gospel so that Paul could continue to share the gospel, so that new churches could be started. And it's right that they did so. Like I mentioned last week, uh, parts of Philippians uh, is direct commands to us. Uh, that's why we had uh, so many weeks just looking at it, just a handful of verses because there were so many commands just really tightly compressed into a few verses. And other parts of Philippians are narrative, just uh, storytelling, telling what happened and, and how we glean from that in a different type of way. Philippians 4.14, our verse today is not a direct command. It is an example for us to follow. We too should freely partner with other believers in their need. A lot of loaded words in that sentence, aren't there? We too should freely partner. Hilariously, when the scripture says, God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful means, is, is the same root word as hilarious. Uh, when someone is hilarious, they're not just a little funny like Pastor Dan. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> they're not just a little funny, they're really, really funny, right? I make no claims to that either. When someone is giving for the Lord, they don't give just a little. They just give and they keep giving and they keep giving. We too should freely partner with other believers in their need. When the Philippians gave to Paul, they didn't just send him money. They did, but they didn't just send him money. They sent him people. They partnered with him. We too should freely partner with other believers in their need. Galatians 6 Verse 10 comes to mind. So then, as we have opportunity, that implies we don't always have opportunity, but as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a priority of the needs of believers that we should be sensitive to and freely generous with. Our generosity with God's people is what? It is generosity with God. See, God is going to answer the prayers of his people, right? God does that. He answers prayers. So if, uh, if I'm some believer in the middle of nowhere, maybe imprisoned like Paul was, and I'm praying for the needs that I have, God is going to answer that prayer in one way or another. It may not be the way I want, but he is going to answer that prayer. And God is going to provide for the needs of his people. The question is, will he also bless you for being part of that answer to prayer? Or will you decline to be de generous and therefore actually rob yourself of the blessing? See, when we decline to meet some other believer's need, God is still going to meet their need some, some way. He can. He's God, right? So if I don't help him, am I robbing that person of the fulfillment of their need? No, not really, because God is going to fulfill their need. What I'm robbing myself of is the blessing for having partaken that 
partaking with him, that fellowship of suffering. Paul had needs, and God's means of fulfilling them was through the generosity of the believers in Philippi. Were there not other churches that could have helped? Yes. Quite a few, actually. But it's the ones in Philippi that did. So we see the fellowship of suffering. We see the generosity of fellowship, verses 15 and 16. And the Philippians, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, no church entered into partnership with me except you. Even in Thessalonica, even when he was in in Thessalonica and there were others that were closer to him in proximity, I think that's what he's he's kind of leaning at. He's not calling out churches that should have been helping or could have been helping but he's saying, even when I was in Thessalonica, it was the Philippians that helped. And he says specifically, they sent help, you sent help for me for my needs once and again. So this relationship that Paul has with the Philippians, Paul had sacrificed for them in the beginning. That's how the church got started. There is no churches that get started without sacrifice. And this wasn't like in central United States where there's lots of believers to draw from and you just get a few families together and poof, you've got a church. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that that's not hard to plant churches here. There's, there's a struggle to it. This was harder. This was a lot harder. Philippi was a very pagan place and he was starting with almost nothing. Paul sacrificed for them to get this church going and they have sacrificed for him. There's this reciprocity, this, this back and forth. He says, they've helped my needs once and again. Paul has helped them, they have helped him, and they're helping him again, but he understands he's not going to be able to reciprocate this, this time. Perhaps you remember from last week, we talked about how Paul worked to provide for himself so that he, didn't, he wasn't a financial uh, draw on the church when he was helping them. But as circumstances have changed, he's now imprisoned. He's unable to earn a living, and that's where the church has stepped in and helped him. And as much as he'd like to, Paul is unable to be generous back to them in the same way. Sometimes the Lord works through his redeemed people to meet the needs of redeemed people. So I was talking about earlier. Um, Clearly, Paul has had needs, and God has clearly been providing for them, and he's been using God's people to do it. His contentment from earlier verses that, uh, well, from verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He is genuinely content in Jesus Christ. But this contentment has not taken away his troubles, right? There is a misunderstanding of Scripture that is sometimes purposefully perpetuated. I apologize for that. I didn't think that one through. There is this falsehood that is oftentimes loudly proclaimed that if you give to God, he is going to give to you and make you rich. Just give to God, 
and actually when people say that, they say, give to my church and you won't have to worry about your sickness, your cancer's gonna go away, your children are gonna be healthy, your farm is gonna be prosperous, your business is going to do well. And it's a false gospel. Because the Bible doesn't actually say that. The Bible says in the world you will have trouble. Believers of Jesus Christ experience all the same needs and pains as the rest of the world. We do. We're not promised that life is going to continue to just get better. The difference that we have with the rest of the world is that we can go through trouble and still be content, still be satisfied in our Savior, still rejoice in Him. That's another one of those words that Paul used over and over again in the book of Philippians, being joyful in him. Our next verse really brings out this big idea of generosity of God's people uh, being a, a generous thing to God. Verse 17 says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. See, people will, can take this verse out of context. They'll take this verse by itself and say, look, you give to God, you give to God's purposes, and he's going to give back to you. That is what the verse says. But the way people often proclaim it, and I want to be very careful that we don't understand to be true, because it's not. The way people often proclaim it is, is some kind of fleshly and worldly type of income that's going to come back. But what we really see from this verse is that God is going to make it balance. Here's what I mean. If you are generous to God, whether it is giving of uh, your money, giving of your time, giving of your vocation, whatever it is, if you're generous with God, he is going to make it so that you are not indebted, right? He's not, gonna, he's not going to owe anyone anything. He's going to give you more back. It, it may be in this life in various ways. It may be in the next. Whatever it is, God promises that there is going to be, that when you invest in his purpose and his people and his plan, that there are guaranteed returns. Again, I'm not saying that if you give money, you're going to give more money back. This isn't your, um, your IRA or your 401k. Here's what scripture says. You will be blessed when you are a blessing to others. Here's how uh, the gospel writer Luke put it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now that's a little confusing words. I, I get that. Well, he's saying, you be generous, and God's going to make sure that that your level of generosity to someone else, to, to some other project that God has, in, has laid out in front of you and has prompted you to give, the way that you are generous, that's the way that God will be given back. In other words, if you're skimpy, his return back to you will be light. But he actually uses the positive metaphor. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. If you... Uh, buy a container of coffee or a bag of chips and you open it up and they're, don't mix the two together, I don't know what you're laughing at. <laughs> and you open up the container and it's half empty, you're gonna feel ripped off, right? 
you want that container to be stuffed full of whatever it is you bought. God says you give generously and he's going to cram the blessings into that container to give to you so that you have more than you can imagine. God will, in one way or another, bless you for being a blessing. He says the same thing, a similar thing, in Matthew chapter 10. This is Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Whoever, Jesus is speaking, he says, whoever receives you, receives me. He's telling his disciples, whoever uh, accepts what you're saying, whoever helps you out in your ministry as you're going out to these places, whoever receives you, receives me. Right? So when you receive, uh, when you, he's, he's talking about taking someone to their house. When you are hospitable to someone, that's like being hospitable to Jesus. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. It's like being hospitable to God himself. Verse 41, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So the, the concept in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 40, is that even though you're not a prophet, if you are kind to a prophet, we don't have prophets today, so don't worry about that. If you're kind to a prophet, you will receive the same kind of reward that God has in store for that prophet who did all the work of profiting and probably got killed. Because you read the Old Testament and what happened to the prophets? They didn't generally have good endings. So the, the value of the reward that these people who gave their lives to service, you will also receive because you have been generous to the one who gave his life in service to God. Do you see the, the amount of blessing he's talking about? The believers at Philippi had been generous, as they had been able, with Paul. And God was not going to let their generosity go unreturned to them. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. Paul wants to make sure he, they understand he's not complaining. He is not suggesting that he is in great need now and their gifts before haven't been enough. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. These words of sacrifice are reminiscent of the Old Testament sacrifices. Some of the sacrifices were simply to be an aroma to God. An aroma, honestly, that smelled like steak, right? It was a real aroma. And God accepted it as an offering to himself. So again, Paul's trying to be crystal clear. He's not asking for more help. He is grateful for how they have helped. And more importantly, their help was counted by God as worship. See, that's right there in the text. He uses those terms of sacrifice, uh, of the, the Old Testament sacrificial uh, imagery to point out that their generosity was an act of worship. How do we worship? It's 
not with sacrifices on an altar. Jesus did that once for all. We worship through singing, certainly. We worship through preaching, absolutely. We worship God by reading the scripture, yes, whether it's corporately or individually. We worship by praying, very much so. We worship by obeying the Lord's commands that he's given to the church, his ordinances of baptism and communion. That's all part of our uh, active worship as a church. We worship by giving. Yes, even financial giving is a form of worship. Paul tells the church that their financial donation is worship, but money is not the only thing they sent. They sent Epaphroditus. They sent a guy. Preparing and sending servants from our congregation to go and serve somewhere else, whether it's around the world as a missionary or whether it's uh, to go start another church here or whether it's just to go be a part of another congregation. Sending people out of our congregation to go serve somewhere else is also a form of worship. Generosity with God's people is generosity with God. And I want to add to that, and God will be generous in return. Do you believe that? Every personal sacrifice that you make for the Lord will be rewarded by your Father in heaven. Uh, this, this weekend, uh, so Friday and Saturday, uh, I and a few others from our church went up to camp for a camp counselor training. There were 200 people up at camp who are preparing to be counselors for the summer. That's the most they've ever had at counselor training retreat. Some of these people, by going up there, have committed to giving a week to counsel, some two weeks, and some even three, which, I mean, God bless them. Junior boys, junior high, senior high, whoo. None of those counselors or program volunteers get paid to go to the training this week, and none of them get paid for the weeks that they, they go and counsel. Um, for the service that they do this summer, all of them will give up time, many will give up vacation, and some will just simply give up a paycheck to be there. For those of you who are going to counsel this summer, thank you. I cannot personally begin to repay you, but God will. Our generosity with God's people, whether it is helping with vacation Bible school, whether it's simply helping someone clear their yard because they're incapable of doing it, or going to camp, or going to Bible college to go into full-time ministry or whatever it is, however it is that we are being generous with ourselves to God, God will be generous in return. So our question today is how might we be withholding generosity from God? What might we be clinging to? What might we be saying no to? to how God would have us be generous with God's purposes and with God's people. So I challenge you, open your hearts, 
Open your hands and trust God for the outcome. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that we would do this. That we would open our hearts to the leading of the Spirit of God and how we ought to be giving and generous. And that we would open our hands to release the things that we're hanging on to, whether it's our time or whether it's our uh, possessions or whatever it is. That you would help us to open our hands to freely give you whatever it is that you can use for your sake. And we'll trust you with the results, with how our generosity is received and used by others, as well as how you will bless us in return. Father, help us to be careful to be generous because of our love for you and not have some sort of sin-stained idea that, that we will gain and only participate because of the gain. Help us to recognize it as worship to you and then we'll freely receive whatever blessing in whatever time frame you determine to give it to us, whether it's immediate or later or much later. We trust you for the result. Father, I ask that you would help us to have hearts as Paul described the hearts of those in Philippi, that they gave as they could, when they could, and often. Lord, thank you for your example of generosity that you showed us through Jesus Christ. He spared nothing. When he was exhausted and tired and wanted to get away to, to spend time in prayer and the crowds kept following, he, he continued to minister. And, and even when, when people that he knew would betray him were, were in his presence, uh, he, he continued to minister and to serve because he knew that ministering and serving being generous with who he was was your plan for his life and it's your plan for ours as well. For as many as are in here, there are, different, there are that many ways that, uh, that we might be able to apply this and more. We ask, Father, you would help us to, to truly assess ourselves and be able to be generous in the way that you have planted in our hearts. We thank you for your word, how it, how it encourages us and challenges us how it points us to how we will be more like our Savior and the blessings we'll receive for it. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name.